0: Log Talk Radio. There is a watchman on the wall, bringing forth the written word of God to one and all. Are you getting ready? Will you stand?
2: Precious saints of God, this is Vincent Xavier, pastor of New Wine Ministries. Good to be with you today. We're waiting for Brian and Kathy to be calling us all the way from the state of Hawaii. We can only do our phone conversations with them because of our audio. When they call in, we're not able to hear it on the Facebook or YouTube, which is not an issue anymore. But uh, people on blog talk radio, were not able to hear them. People on the videos were able to hear them. So until we get that all worked out... We're going to be interviewing Brian and Kathy live on Blog Talk Radio. And everybody will be able to listen to them on Facebook, on OmegaRadio.org, and on NWMGlobal.org. And if you have not yet checked out NWMGlobal.org, make sure you do it. Become familiar with that because that's where we're most likely going to be found in the days that lie ahead. Again, NWMGlobal.org. And OmegaRadio.org So while we're waiting for Brian and Kathy to call in And what they'll do is they'll give us the high five when they're ready to go And I uh, kind of see that they have called in already So let me get this lined up This is really good <clears throat> Let me get them on the air And say good morning to Brian and Kathy Good morning guys, how are you doing today?
1: Good morning, we're doing good great Bright awesome. and early here
2: so what what time is it in Hawaii?
1: 5 a.m.
2: Nice. Did you have a cup of coffee or two? Uh,
1: yes.
0: Yeah. <laughs> I'm having my Very coffee. good.
2: <laughs> you know, until we can get this worked out um, where you guys are able to come back and join me in video, which we really enjoy. People love seeing your faces. Um, Forgive us that we have to do radio interviews, but now you're being uh, heard on Facebook, on Omega Radio, and on NWM Global uh, until we get restored to YouTube, if ever. So great to be with both of you. How are you doing? And what is the good news today?
1: We're doing we're doing great.
0: <laughs> we're just grateful and uh, thankful that uh, for everything. Yeah, just uh, amazing.
1: My motto is, um, I'm always doing good, whether I realize it or not. <laughs> Isn't that the truth? Isn't that the yeah. absolute truth? I
2: mean, it one is. day in the, in the presence of God is better than all of a lifetime. It's true. It is so true. So I was thinking about something this morning. I don't know if you guys have something that God has put in your heart that you want to share with the body right at the get-go or not, or if you want to just flow in conversation. Uh, but let me defer to you first. Uh, the Lord put something in your hearts for today, particularly.
1: Uh, yeah, maybe a few things, but we can like we can uh, see what what it is what he put on your mind first.
2: <clears throat> okay, well my my mind is a very interesting thing, but uh, let's see what the Lord put in there. <laughs> so here's what I'd like to just kind of start off with today. I was looking at some of these uh, articles, for example. This is uh, kind of close to home because it's right here in our neck of the woods. And let's see if I could get this back out here. Um, well, there's a there's a Republican woman in um, Oklahoma, and she is her name is Republican Oklahoma City mayoral candidate Carol Hefner proclaimed during a debate that she thinks Islam should be eradicated from the globe. Hefner defended her past Islamophobic. This is coming from a far left news site, by the way. Uh, Hefner defended her past Islamophobic social media posts during the debate as well. The candidate had previously called Islam an evil culture and not a religion, debate moderator Storm Jones pointed out. Hefner responded by doubling down, saying the insipid religion must come to an end. Yes, and I'm quoting her now, Muslim culture is a very negative culture, Hefner said, and it does things that are oppressive, and I don't agree with that. It's just like slavery. Don't agree with that. It's insipid. It should be eradicated from our culture and from our world, and unfortunately, it has been here since the beginning of time. So here you have uh, somebody standing up and shouting down the Islamic uh, religion, which I happen to agree with, I tend to agree with that about the religion of Islam. The people need salvation and and need to fall in love with Jesus Christ. I get that. Uh, On the other hand, there's a man that while the Pope in the Vatican was giving a speech the other day, this man starts shouting out while he's taking his mask off, this is not the Church of God, speaking of the Roman Catholic Church. So these major forms of religion are, you know, people around the world, there's kind of a I wouldn't call it an attack as much as, you know, people poking at the the bear of these great religions that are out there. And so um, these are just interesting little, you know, tidbits along the way, Brian and Kathy, that uh, are of interest to me uh, just a little bit. Um, So your thoughts about that?
1: Well, I think um, on one hand, I I, I agree. And and Islam will eventually be eradicated when, when every knee bows and every tongue confesses that Jesus is Lord. And, um, but, you know, on the other hand, if we really, really want to look at, at, at where Islam came from, you trace its roots back to Ishmael, right? And, and um, so, actually, Islam is really kind of like our wayward, uh, dysfunctional family members who are, who are just kind of off the hook. And, and God doesn't want them eradicated. He wants them to be, to be saved and redeemed and delivered. And, and in fact, if you look at where, where true revival that people have been prophesying and praying for in the United States, you know, for, for decades now is actually taking place. It's in Muslim countries, you know, and God and, and Muslims are coming to, to Christ in droves so yes it's it it definitely needs to go, but so does everything else that's not not surrendered to christ you know and i and I think you know is- what I see in in people in you know maybe i don't know who this congresswoman is, you know maybe she's well intentioned or whatever i'm I'm sure she is, but what I see the devil playing games with that and using it to his advantage because once you go after one um One group of people or one voice, and you eradicate them. That sets a precedent to eradicate any voice you don't like. And for instance, Kathy and I were talking this morning. I don't know if you saw the thing about Whoopi Goldberg, you know, being censored and suspended for making anti-Semitic comments or whatever. I don't know exactly what she said, but you know what I said is the the purpose of our First Amendment is to protect offensive speech first. Because once you once you censor one group, again, you, cens- you, you set the precedent. So, so what we, we see, like, a lot of people up in arms, they're angry because there's cries for censorship of Joe Rogan on his podcast when he interviewed Dr. Malone about the, you know, COVID and vaccines and whatnot. But on the other hand, you've got some of the same people that want to turn around and censor Whoopi Goldberg. And we need to, like, we need to be prepared to counter um incorrect arguments with correct arguments not by silencing people killing them shutting them up and you know arrest making uh points of view illegal truth is truth and 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 that you know there's a saying i forgot who said it but truth is a lion and 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 it can defend itself
2: amen amen to that absolutely true yeah i saw that article she she mentioned something about the holocaust and she compared something going on today with the holocaust Um, And that's so true about, you know, our job is to speak the truth in love. And that truth is Jesus. It is the kingdom. And I do understand that. And we are to expose the darkness to a degree. We're called to do that. Have nothing to do with the unfruitful deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. So there has to be, and light will always do that, you know, whether intentioned or not. uh, Light will do that. Truth will do that. So I woke up also this morning hearing about another battle where there's this, this vengeance bill. Uh, against children going to school, having to wear their mask or they're going to get suspended. And the thing that occurs to me about vaccinations and about all these issues uh, that we're in now two years coming up on two years with um, is that it's not going away. And it's interesting that one moment you get a victory over here and you think things are going in a certain direction, all of a sudden there's another from the legislative branch of government from different, you know, networks and out, uh, Areas where the other side comes up, it's not going away. What do you perceive in that?
0: Well, we were just talking about that this morning, and uh, what's coming—it's a stepping stone. This whole what they're doing in the world um, and reacting to the COVID pandemic is a stepping stone to uh, the global global climate change agenda, which um, that's really where they're going. You know, even if there's no disease floating around, they're going to have lockdowns. So we can um, lower our carbon emissions, etc and uh, there's an article on Drudge that and that's what prompted we had covered that this morning. So you're right, I don't think it's going away.
2: So you're talking about the Klaus Schwab great reset. and I know um, Brian, you have a lot you have a lot of information about <laughs> Klaus Schwab and uh, the reset issue. Can you speak into that just a little bit and how that ties into what Kathy just shared?
1: yeah they just uh <laughs> they just completely uh that that's the the one world government trying to exert itself you know and of course the one world government is really just the uh the old robber barons of the early twentieth century trying to re-exert their influence and gain more control of what the, than than they already have and um and it's it's uh they just keep us always reacting you know we always react 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 and of course that's a Galian dialectic you know, we we take one side, whether it's thesis or antithesis, and we, and we operate under the illusion that one of us is right, and that's one of and, and we need to you know one side has got to triumph, but that's not the intention of people like the of uh, Klaus Schwab and the World Economic Forum. You know, they have a separate goal that they're going to produce out of the conflict. You know, and of course that's that's the same thing. That's where you know Marxism is is at least partially derived from from the Martin Hegel's uh philosophy and the Hegelian dialectic but um you know they always direct our focus right and so you can see everything that goes on in the media and everybody just, they point here and, you know, and if conservative media, Fox news or whatever points to one thing and identifies one thing, all the opinion, all the focus, all the attention among conservatives in the United States runs to that side. And we talk about that and we think about that and how can we do this and can this succeed and what should we do, you know, and then they have the the exact polar opposite for the left and they do the exact same thing. And meanwhile, none of these things are the agenda, you know, we're talking about elections and whatnot, and we know the whole election process, whatever happened in this last election. We know our our, our, our election process has been twisted and corrupted for, for a very long time. And, um, you know, and, and even the situation with, the, the like, the Canadian truckers, you know, on one hand, it's yeah. like, well, you know what, um, this looks like, on one hand, it looks really promising, you know what I mean, because all these people are standing up. And and saying no to these vaccine mandates. But like, you know, Kathy was just saying, you know, their next plan, their next stated plan is climate change. That's the next crisis. That's the next thing they're going to address. So, you know, it occurred to me that when you look at everything that's going on with uh, all the news about self-driving cars and electric cars and this big push for uh, for AI controlled uh, society, um, that this could really play right into their, their plan. You know, for instance, they're they're already trying to blame the truckers for the, for the uh, supply chain shortage and the food shortages and why there's not going to be food on the stores uh, on shelves and things like that. When we already know it's not the truckers that are doing it, they're addressing the real cause of the problem, which is all the pandemic lockdowns and the vaccine mandates. And, and, and and the other nonsense going on with the Biden administration, but if they can play the narrative and get people to believe that it's the trucker's fault, well, then we need to get rid of truckers, and we really need to like expedite getting these self-driving trucks and AI-controlled deliveries and things like that, so we don't have to worry about that, you know. And so these guys are always one step ahead. And there's a there's a scripture I forget where it is in the Bible, but but basically I'm paraphrasing it that that that, that the, the the wicked are more cunning. You know, in, in terms of like what I call criminal thinking, than than we are as Christians because we're we're operating on okay, what is the truth, and I'm trying to operate as close to the truth as I possibly can. Whereas the the devil is the opposite. It's like how can I how can we manipulate these people to gain the 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 final thing, end that, that we're looking for. So I just uh, yeah I don't know. It's <laughs> it's it's definitely more complicated than than the, the simple. Um, just direction, everything seems to be moving in. I don't know if that makes right. sense. You're not kind of thinking aloud. Oh, absolutely,
2: yeah. it keeps everything in confusion. In Second Timothy chapter three, when Paul was writing to Timothy, uh, I love what he starts and he begins in verse ten. I'll just pick it up there. Second Timothy three ten. But thou, Timothy, has fully known my doctrine, my manner of life, my purpose, faith, long suffering, charity, and patience. You know about the persecutions, afflictions, which came unto me at Antioch, at Iconium, at Lystra, what persecutions I endured, but out of them all the Lord delivered me. Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution, but evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. So this is kind of an end time reality. This is Paul writing to Timothy, his protégé, his son of the faith, and he's telling him men are going to get worse and worse and it means uh that's the kiron there in the Greek and it actually talks about more evil or aggravated physically, mentally, morally, sorer, worser. You know, these these so it doesn't look like things are going to get better. It's going to go into a greater bad nature. Um, you know, feeling, thinking, acting, base, wicked, wrong, troublesome, injurious, pernicious, destructive, baneful. So we really don't get the We We shouldn't, as Christians, living in the days that we're living in, where end-time Bible prophecy is shouting at us from every direction, and we're kind of sitting here on the planet going, gee, what's next? Well, we shouldn't expect things to get better and better. We should expect, in the world, that is, Uh, things are going to get worse and worse and men are going to become more depraved or they're going to operate out of that depravity that they maybe haven't tapped into before. All men have have been depraved because of sin. But um, the evil, the worse and worse, the, you know, who would have ever dreamt that men could be so evil like in Nazi Germany or in any other society that became so evil to its people from Nero on up. uh, It's just a reality. So, The light has to get brighter while the darkness is getting darker. Uh, These times should not be a surprise to us, Brian and Kathy. We're here on purpose, and we're all wanting to know, how do I get involved in what God is doing today, and what is God doing today? What is the spiritual flow, the reality of the movements of the Spirit of God, and how do believers in Jesus Christ who understand Scripture and believe it actually get involved in making a difference, what does that actually mean? What does that look like today?
0: we overcoming, <laughs> overcoming. yeah I, I think
1: it's I, I think that what you just asked really really ties into something that the Lord has been impressing on me for the last few days and you know it comes back to eschatology you know it's um so we talk about the pre-tribulation rapture, and we talk about preterism and things like that. And, um, but there's another, there's another aspect of eschatology, competing schools of, of thought and eschatology, that we don't always know about and, and, and we often miss, and that is um, pre-millennialism versus postmillennialism. And when I say millennial, I'm speaking about the, the millennial reign of Christ from Revelations 20, you know, ver- verses 1 and 6. And a lot of people, I think, are operating uh, uh, under one paradigm and not even under- knowing that they, they, they've actually been raised in the faith according to, to one or the other. And so post postmillennialism it, it can be confused with the pre-tribulation rapture because postmillennialism says that, that um, the millennial reign, we are in the millennial reign right now and or the millennium occurs before the return of Jesus Christ. Now, I don't know how anybody can read through scripture and especially through revelation and get the idea that we are in the millennial reign right now or that, or that Jesus Christ come or read Matthew 24 and come to the conclusion that Jesus comes um, back after the millennial reign. To me, I think it's really, really clear that, you know we go through the tribulation then the son of man comes in the clouds he gathers his church and 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 the the dead are resurrected first and then and then the living and then uh then we go into the millennial reign with Jesus Christ actually ruling from Jerusalem and some of us are going to be co-heirs with him co-rulers with him especially those who were martyred but but um that's that's the uh that's the pre millennial reign, meaning Jesus comes back before the millennium now, I think what this matters is when you look at some of the people that are out and really trying to achieve political ends and and we and Christians professing Christians who are you know even doing things like with uh you know what the truckers are doing and what you see with like uh the Canadian pastors that one Polish pastor Arthur Palowski, I think his name is, you know really standing up against. To, to government and they they refuse to close churches or anything like that saying that it's like we have to meet and and um you know god bless them but there's the uh, the whole i don't know if you're familiar with the seven mountains mandate by mm-hmm. um lance lance now and 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 um bill johnson from bethel you know and they're staunch post-millennialists and the biggest difference i think in, in my understanding between post-millennialism and pre in terms of how we walk out our christian walk is that post-millennialists are planning to they believe that they need to transform culture christianize all the seven aspects of culture the seven mountains so to speak you know entertainment banking or finances government education and um and then when we have transformed Christian culture and prepared it for Jesus to return, that then he will return. And so God's plan in postmillennialism is contingent upon what we do as human beings on earth. Now, my understanding, I'm a premillennialist, and I believe that God is sovereign. And I believe that, that you know, he said his word will go forth in Isaiah and it shall accomplish what he, what he intended, and that happens in spite of what I do. Now, he may have plans, like it says in Ephesians um, 2.10, you know, he, there were works that he preordained for me to walk in to do, but that doesn't mean that his plan is contingent on anything I do. I get to, you know, as a benefit of being a believer, I get to, the privilege of participating, you know, and coming alongside God and doing certain things, but He isn't dependent upon me, and so I, I think it really comes down to: Is God sovereign? Is God in control, or is He not? And if God is not completely sovereign, then I need to get out in the streets and I need to do whatever it takes to to fight for Christian Christianity and Christian culture and whatnot. But I, but what I see is things are going like we just read in Second Timothy that things are going to wax worse and worse, you know. And in Daniel it says the wicked will do wickedly, but the wicked won't understand, but the wise will understand. And um, but I think that's really a, a key point that that a lot of people are not aware of, and if they are aware of it, they're not really thinking about what their stand is and what they believe. And and just finally, just the, one other last point is I, I can see. Uh, that God would allow all the evil to be exposed, all the cor- government corruption, you know, and, and to see everybody doing absolutely everything in their power to stand for, you know, what the, the, the Constitution and, and the principles in which our, our nation, Canada and the United States, were were founded and have it fail miserably and have people left with no other option but to cling to Jesus, and he is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through him. We don't have any hope apart from him, and there's nothing that we can do apart from him that will accomplish anything. So if I'm wrong, well, then maybe we're not in the millennium, but otherwise I suspect that it's like every single effort, every valiant effort, is, is, as honorable as they may be, I suspect that they're going to fail, you know? And there's nothing that we can do to stop them from trying.
2: <laughs> yeah. So let me kind of express the, what I'm hearing, what you're saying, which I think demands um, our uh, really looking into this. I think the very first word you use, maybe there's somebody listening today that doesn't even know what eschatology is. And so give a, give a simple biblical definition to what eschatology is for our listeners.
1: Well, eschaton refers to the end times, the last days, and the suffix ology means the study of. So it's the study of end times and end times prophecy in the Bible. And where did that word come from? Uh that's a good question. I imagine it's Greek. But okay. I have so something. At.
2: Okay, very good. So uh, the, uh, the eschatological views of different groups of people within the kingdom of heaven, uh, they come up with ideas about the last days. They study ideas, okay? And a paradigm uh, basically is a set of, you know, ideas or concepts. And so when there's a shifting of paradigms, so we get do a paradigm shift, it's a shifting of concepts and ideas that have been held onto for so long, but there is a shift in consciousness where people have to be willing to go and look deeper than what they've established. And then there's something called, what, paradigm paralysis, where people are either unwilling or just refuse to shift any kind of thinking. We live in a time where I think we're being called upon in our generation to be willing to shift with our understanding, to have the paradigm that we've held onto for so long uh, to shift into the truth. And not until we get to the truth should we camp out on any particular um, idea about the end times. But we do have a roadmap. We do have a book. We do have the Bible. And the way that I see it while you were talking, um, Brian, is that when Yeshua came 2,000 years ago, when Jesus Christ came into this earth, you talk about a paradigm shift. You talk about dispensational shift. I mean, he was bringing people from 1,500 years under the Mosaic law, and he was bringing them to an age of grace and forgiveness and mercy And truth and light and holy spirit uh there are many things the law can never accomplish so here comes jesus he's wrapping up the fulfillments of the entirety of those 1500 years of mosaic law consequences for not keeping the law etc etc he's paying the price and he's introducing the new covenant the spirit the grace of god a new covenant so there's a shift for that generation now The mandate, as I understand it, when Yeshua was brought into heaven, he looked at them and said, now go into all the world and preach the gospel and lay hands on the sick, and, you know, do all these things that, you know, I've commanded you to do. And to me, that was the beginning, especially on the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit came upon the believers in Jerusalem, when the Holy Spirit came upon them, they came down out of the upper room, and that began what I knew and understood as the church age, or the age of the kingdom, or the beginning of the church age and the kingdom age, because the kingdom age simply doing the works that Jesus did, which in the book of Acts was accomplished. There's no doubt about it. So I saw that as a foretaste, the day of salvation, go into all the world, and that the responsibility for these last two days, or two millennial days, 2,000 years, has been for believers to receive Christ, go do the works of Christ, share the gospel with the world around them, be salt, be light. And so there's been a mandate, and we could search out the last 2,000 years and say, okay, well, this is what the church has done to a degree. Uh, They've preached the gospel. They've operated into the kingdom to some degree, and it's brought the church 2,000 years to today. And it seems like today, now we're in the eschatological, the last days, the end times, we need to study what that looks like So for me personally, um, the last 2,000 years, some people may confuse with the millennium, but really what it was is a foretaste of the church in kingdom power. And so Mm -hmm. I, I see it that way. Now we're getting ready to shift again, and we're getting ready to go through something. It's like the church age kingdom age is wrapping up as we have known it. We're about to go through the great tribulation And on the other side of that, we know Jesus will return and set up the 1,000-year millennial reign where the church will be operating in the full power of the kingdom of God in glorified bodies. And that is going to take it from a foretaste to a full overflow of what you can imagine the millennial will be like if during the church age the church operated in the kingdom and we saw advancement. Just think about the power in the millennium. So that's kind of how I see that. Uh, Where am I off?
1: Um, I don't think you're off. <laughs> I think you're, I think you're spot on. Yeah. I mean, and that's, so that, would be, pre, the same that thing. would be, yeah, that would be premillennialism. millennialism You know, I'm, I'm just, what I was, the way I was framing it was more in the context of the way, we, the way we see the contemporary church responding um, to current events in light of their, their eschatological view. So people that are post millennialists right now, not even a lot of times, not even knowing that they're even post millennialists or that, 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 that the view impacts them at all, are are out trying to fix society, thinking we're going to fix America, we're going to fix this problem that there's a there's a solution, you know, and that if that, that if we all get together, God will support us in our protests or whatever that is, you know, and if in yeah. fact we are in the end times, as as I think all of us here believe, then that's not going to work, you know? And if we're wrong, well, then maybe it will work because there is, there is one other argument out there that um, I don't know if you've ever heard of the book, the fourth turning by two guys Strauss and Howe. they're social scientists and historians.
2: Yes. yes.
1: Yeah. And so, you know, and those for anyone that's not familiar with it, basically they take human history, mainly Western human, Western history, it, it, Led by the United States, and they break it down into four seasons, kind of like from a uh, uh, um, based on Ecclesiastes um chapter three, where it says there's a time and a season for everything, and they break down the the seasons in uh, uh well it's, they call it a seculum, which would be the span of a long life eighty to a hundred years, and so then they break down a lo- a life of one human being into into four generations. Um, 20 to 25 years that's not carved in stone that's just sort of like a just kind of like a baseline to get so you can kind of get it conceptualize it in your mind and then instead of um, instead of uh, uh, spring summer winter fall they have the high which would be 20-25 years then they have the period of awakening then they have the unraveling and then they have the crisis so the last crisis we went through would have been you know the the area of like the uh, the Great Depression and the two world wars and um, and coming out of World War two we would have with the boomer generation we would have the high and i I kind of like imagine it in the context of the TV shows that those of us maybe fifty and above that grew up with right and so the high would be defined by beaver cleaver right and so you had every Family was, families were together. You had the American dream, the white picket fence, the car, the family vacation. The kids were all going to go to college. And the parents all had a goal of providing them a better life than what they had in terms, usually in terms of material prosperity. You know, mothers were mothers. Fathers were fathers. People knew their roles. They liked their roles. They didn't fight them. You know, um, boys were boys. Girls were girls, that kind of a thing. That was 1945 to about, you know, 1965. Then we had the period of the great of the uh, awakening that would have been 1965 to, you know, 1985 or so. And that was, you know, you look at Brady Bunch, you know, you got divorced parents coming together, forming a family. You've got uh you know, the, the, the rock and roll era. you've got the, the Vietnam war and the student rebellions, you know, the, the make, you know, make love, not war and Woodstock and people getting naked and free love and all this other kinds of stuff. And so it's just like the awakening was a questioning of, you know, standard values and, you know, the women's liberation movement, you know, why do I have to be at home uh, barefoot and pregnant all the time? If I'm a mother, why can't I go to work like the man? And, um, so just, you know, the, the period of questioning, and then 85 to 2005, they call it the, the unraveling, and that's where things really got, got crazy, with, you know, punk rock, and, and, you know, what is a man, what is a woman, you know, you know, and, and homosexuality, and AIDS, and everything else started, started kind of like, uh, just people didn't really know which end was up, and which end was down, you know, and, uh, then finally, the crisis, and that's approximately, you know, I think it probably started around 2001, if they're correct, rather than 2005, but 2005 to 2025, which is, it's a period of time, it's a crisis, you know, like you've talked about so many times on your show here, and and um, the, the danger of the crisis is one of two things happens during the crisis period, there's either a, a return to more traditional values, setting the stage for the next high, the next first turning, or the nation is at risk for for succumbing to totalitarianism. And, uh, you know, in terms of the, the, the four turnings, we're right in the middle of uh, uh, the crisis right now. That's pretty clear. Now, again, when we're talking about the fourth turning, we're talking about human decisions are what? influence the final ends, you know, so the decisions we make individually and as a society influence the direction that we're going in. If we're in the the last turning, which I think we're in, right, we're we're, we're heading into the tribulation soon. You mean the final? The final, tri- yeah, the final turning, not the, yeah, yeah. and um, then people will do everything in their power that normally would have worked in the past, and we won't see any we won't see any end result, any good result, you know, we'll just continue on the downward spiral that we're in and people will shake their heads and wonder why, 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 why? And then the only answer is you need to re- believe, repent, and, you know, and, and be conformed to the image of Christ. Grab on. <laughs> so,
2: <clears throat> well, that's amazing. Uh, that is, that is basically what's happening. When you put that to, you know, 2005 to 2025, Uh, The Great Tribulation, as I understand it scripturally, is three and one-half years. We're in the year 2022 just began, so we can imagine by the time we get to 2025 that uh, we may have gone through the greatest tribulation to ever hit the face of the earth. That could happen in months. Uh, If it hasn't, some people are saying it's already started globally around the world. It's not just an American You can't view the whole biblical structure of things just from how things work in America. Uh, We've seen persecutions, nations locked down, we've seen islands shaken, volcanoes blowing, we've seen massive hurricanes, we've seen men get worse and worse in their bloodlust for control and power. And you know, you know, this stuff is going on. And if nothing else, man, we are right at the birth where the labor pains may have began around, you know, who knows, two thousand one, whatever. Um, but all of a sudden, the, you know, there was a acceleration and an intensification of global events all over the world. Um, I, and, and the thing that makes it so unique, Brian and Kathy, is that when you started in 1945 to 65 and talked about leave it to Beaver and Cleaver and all those good things that were happening, uh, also that was the time where the United Nations was formed and Israel became uh, a ratified, it was ratified in the documents, they could come back as a nation. Um, Mm -hmm. And so this was something unique to the rest of the entirety of the church age, kingdom age in the last 2000 years, which tells us when Israel becomes a nation, that is, how does that, you know, I've said it for a long time, but from your perspective, how does Israel becoming a nation in 1948 and then standing in 1967 mark a difference in our generation than in any other generations prior to us?
1: Well, I mean, Matthew twenty four. Before before he began to actually answer the uh, the disciples' question, what will be the sign of your coming and the, you know the last days, you know, Jesus pointed to the temple and said, not one stone will be left unturned, and he cursed the fig tree. You know, um, which which uh, before that, which which I I take that as he was cursing the nation of Israel. You know, and saying you're rejected, and and um, you know, it's like let me just go to it real quick here, so that I don't misquote any scriptures. But um, uh, Matthew twenty-four. So, yeah. So then, you know, after he after he he said that see that no one leads you he said see no one leads you astray. That's the beginning of what he said in, in the Olivet Discourse. You know, and so he said uh, the lesson from the fig tree beginning in verse thirty-two, Matthew twenty-four thirty-two, and. From the fig tree, learn its lesson. As soon as a branch becomes tender puts out its leaves, you know that summer is near. So also when you see all these things, you know that he is near and at the very gates. And my interpretation, I could be wrong, but my interpretation of, of verse 32 is that, that when you see the fig tree put forth its leaves, that was uh, um, you know, a prophetic reference to when Israel would become uh, a nation again. And that took place, as you said, in 1948. So yeah, and that's, you know, turning point. Yeah.
2: Okay. So that that's a a point of conflict in people's thinking about things. But the scriptures in Hosea and other places actually refer to Israel as a fig tree. And so Mm -hmm. you have a couple of witnesses in the Old Testament about it. And then definitely you know, Jesus weeping over Jerusalem and cursing that fig tree that day and the rejection, it wouldn't bear any fruit. He's definitely talking symbolically to a nation that he came to and that have rejected him, like you said. And so I thought, you know, when it said this generation will not pass away, uh, going on in verse 34, verily I say to you, this generation shall not pass till all these things be fulfilled, that he was absolutely referring. Now, the preterist will tell you that that was the generation that Jesus was speaking of right there, right then, uh, 70 AD, the fig tree being cursed. But this is saying when the branch is yet tender and puts forth its leaves, meaning it's come back again. And so in 1948, right, that's when Israel began to come back. Are we trying to squeeze a circle into a square, or does that fit biblically? Is that acceptable in Bible prophecy that he was referring to the event that happened in 1948.
1: Yeah, I, I, you know, in my opinion, I, I don't know absolutely 100% for certain, but the way I interpret Scripture, in my opinion, what I see and what I believe the Holy Spirit bears witness with my spirit, and when I read that, is that's the case. That's that's what they're talking about, you know. And if somebody has a different opinion, I'm, I'm always, I'm always open to, to correction if I'm wrong. But that's right now. That's what I see. <clears throat> yeah.
2: Yeah, very, very clear. I mean, everything written about in Matthew 24, you know, these end times and and people's love waxing cold and persecution rising and, you know, all these different events, it may have been in 70 A.D., but I think the Nazi Holocaust was worse than 70 A.D. I'm not 100 percent sure, but I think a million people were afflicted in 70 A.D., but in 1930s and 40s with Adolf Hitler, the Jewish people suffered a greater, uh, you know, terror than in in, in 70 AD, which means Jesus said that there is a tribulation coming that has never been before and will never be again. And if 70 AD was what he was referring to, well, then what was the Nazi Holocaust? Six million Jewish people, 25 million people killed during that war, uh, pastors thrown into prison. Well, that was worse than 70 AD, for goodness sake. And then we have a world coming back to where it is right now, and we still have not yet witnessed, because Bible prophecy is being shown up everywhere, the worst tribulation to ever hit the face of the earth. And one has to stand back. We've never seen Lucifer, Satan, the Antichrist, the global one-world government, four billion people wiped off the face of the earth in our generation. I don't know why that's so hard to accept when we've accepted 70 A.D., Nazi Germany, uh, the Bolshevik Revolution—you know—you can go on down the list and see a lot of bad stuff has happened. World War One, World War Two—all these issues. Um, I think the worst is right ahead of us.
1: Yeah, I I, I agree, and I, you know I think that one of the problems with eschatology and, and and people getting confused about the last days is it comes down to to how they read scripture. You know there's just been this tendency for for uh, generations probably within the body of Christ the decades anyways where you know people just kind of cherry pick scriptures to you know and they make a doctrine out of them you know Jeremiah 29:11 is a really good example where people quote that all the time about use in the prosperity gospel but if you look at the context of what Jesus, Jesus was saying it was in the context of judgment his discipline and the fact that the, the reason why he was doing this was to, to, to help the people. He wasn't blessing them with, you know, wealth and goods God. and things like that. But, but God was, you know, he the father was, was saying, look here, son, you're, you're going to go into your room for 70 years here now, you know, but when you're done and you've repented, then I'm going to, then I'm going to restore you. And, and so when people read the Olivet Discourse, Matthew 24, you know, that is one, there's no break it's not a conversation it's not a dialogue back and forth it's like the di- disciples asked one question what will be the sign of your coming and Jesus answered in two chapters you know and so when we read it it's like it begins with and this then this and this then this and so i take it as all of it is a- as at least through through to uh, i think verse 29 or so that that it's all additive meaning we're going to see we've seen earthquakes and wars and rumors of wars and brother delivering a brother at different times throughout history but this is and this and that and you're going to see all of these things at one time and i don't think that we've seen what we're seeing now today happening all at one time it's just one thing after another just check 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 you know and um and so i think that's that, that's really important and that's where people get confused with the tribulation too because they're like they're they're cherry picking scriptures out of context, you know, and out of sequence. So
0: <clears throat> Yeah, and, you know, back, go ahead.
1: No, please, go ahead, Kathy.
0: I was just gonna um back when we were uh, reading I think it was Second Timothy you were reading and, and it was said things will be worse get worse and worse. That word in the Greek it also means progress. So so the um evil agenda, they it will progress their agenda just like we would like our agenda to progress, and the gospel to progress around the world, but their uh, evil agenda is going to progress. Amen.
2: And, you know, with that being said, um, I believe the book of Revelation is the final prophecy. It Five times that book of Revelation is called a prophecy. I believe it's mm-hmm. the final word of God that should be understood by the ecclesia. We've had it for 2,000 years in our possession. It's been handed down from generation to generation, and because it's never been fulfilled, Um, that, you know, it has to be passed on like a baton in a race. We in our generation, I find it significant. I'm sharing on the screen right now uh, because I believe this adds and lends authenticity to the word of God. When you start in Revelation chapter 6 where the prophecy actually begins, you have a white horse, you have a red horse, you have a black horse, and a greenish colored horse, the chlorophyll colored horse. And they call it pale, but that word is green. So I find it amazing. And these are things I don't just ignore. And these are things that we found in our study. If you look on the screen, every one of these flags that are green, white, red, and black, and I'm just going to scroll down to them. And here they have um, uh, the different nations involved. And you have everything from, uh, you know, the Palestinian flag, the UAE, Jordan. I mean, there's just a never-ending flow of Middle Eastern Islamic colors in the majority of every single one of these flags representing the nations of Islam. And I'm just thinking, and I believe this, that in Revelation chapter 6, where those four horses and horses we know represent people groups. We get that from Zechariah chapter 10, where uh, Yahweh says... Uh, yeah, what did he say? He said, um, Judah, my goodly horse fit for the battle. So he identifies Judah as a goodly horse fit for the battle. And I see that in Revelation 19 as a people that white horse that the Lord rides on as a people group it has Bible backing to it. So who are these other four horses, these groups? Well, in 9-11-2001, we know that Al-Qaeda came out. Then we got into all the other groups of Hezbollah, Hamas. We got into Daesh, ISIS, you know, and all these different names of terror groups that our world never knew about. I mean, especially in America, nobody heard this stuff before. And I I just believe that we are, we have entered into the end-time Bible prophecy of all end-time Bible prophecies. And it began with the opening of that first seal And that means we're a lot further down the road right now. We're getting closer and closer to that great tribulation uh, with the mark of the beast. And now in 2020 with the vaccinations and, you know, you've got to get jabbed and you got to get tested and you're going to be demonized if you don't. There's stigmatization coming if you don't. Um, You know, everything seems to be congealing. It seems to be falling into place. What are your thoughts about that?
1: Well, I think... Yeah, I mean I agree and the, the only thing I would say is that is that um we know that the the totalitarian control is going to get stronger and it's going to get worse. And it would seem that that um the vaccine is is the way they're going to do it. However, with a caveat there they have been talking more and more and more about climate change. Climate change, like that's the next agenda. And while I expect the end result is going to be the same, if if you and I are correct in, in how we're looking at things, it, it it may be it may be something different than the vaccine because we we again we get we've been so focused on COVID, so focused on vaccine and and standing up against vaccine passports and things like that, but they may have, they may have another, you know, they may have a hook, a right hook coming in, you know, we're so, we're defending ourselves against this nonstop jab, punching us in the face and they're waiting with a hook to to knock us out, you know, and it might be something completely different. So I'm kind of, I'm trying to keep an open mind and looking at paying attention to everything that's going on. You know, the vaccines are, I mean, they may ramp it up. You know, on one hand, it looks like it's, it's all dying down and people are waking up and, and the, the narrative is falling apart and people are, are, are just not buying it anymore. But, um, you know, I heard, I heard today people are saying that um, I have no idea if this is true or not. It was, it was mentioned on another alternative news show, but that a province in China is locked down right now with, um, with hemorrhagic fever, otherwise known as, as Ebola. And there's rumors going around about... Um, you know, Ebola mixed with smallpox to make it more contagious. And that, you know, a few months ago we had Bill Gates saying, well, we need to really be worried about a, a weaponized version of smallpox coming out, you know?
0: Mm-hmm. So it's
1: just, uh, you know, it's um, it's uh, as soon as I, as soon as my focus is directed by the news into one thing, I red flags go off and I'm like, okay, I, I need to look, see what's coming at me from other sides and rather than just what the thing that's right in front of me that I'm staring at, because that's how we get manipulated so often. But, but uh, yeah, it may, uh, yeah, it may very well be COVID vaccines or some other vaccine or who knows. I mean, I'm just ready for anything.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, And again, the, the color of those flags, the Islamic thing, that's what happened at the beginning of this possible a fourth turning that you were talking about which i think is phenomenal because you said they were saying it was between 2005 and 2025 but you said you believed it was 2001 well you go back mm-hmm. to 2001 and it was a whole terror card that was played in revelation yeah. chapter six and we know the things that follow beyond that are pestilences locusts coming out of pits stinging people they they want to die but they can't die kind of sounds like some of the stuff that's been going on. So I don't know, you know, it's very difficult to get in there, but we are in something, and something is moving, and it's very clever, very tactful, uh, very serpent-like, and the blind masses, the blind masses will never be able to understand, and, and Daniel said that the wise will understand, the wicked will not understand, and so if, the, if there's genuine righteousness, there should be some form of understanding about what's happening right now, and to deny that we are not moments away from a massive shift into what will throw the entire globe into this turmoil and this turbulation, I think that's an absence uh, of reality. I think that's denial, and I do believe the elect of God will be kept. I do believe that there will be goshens and wilderness and areas of protection for God's people who truly honor him. And there are those that love God that need to get cleaned up and during the tribulation they will. So, but we are so very close to things. So getting back to the original question, how then shall we live, Brian and Kathy? What is it that Christian men and women today that are being very cautious? People are being monitored, they're being observed, they're being watched. A new global surveillance is coming up online with 5G, and then I'd love for you to talk about 6G, you mentioned in a, in a text. So, you know, people are careful, they're concerned. Um, there are people that are being kind of brazen and bold and outspoken right now, um, but they're going to invite some, you know, some trouble into their lives, I think, uh, and they have to make sure they're doing this as under the Lord. But we're here speaking to that, if you will, please.
0: All right, I'm just going to say something that from a woman's point of view, and um, it's really basic. And uh, but anyway, earlier when you you've been talking about um, the three days, the uh, you know the church period, the kingdom period, and um, and also in childbirth, there's three stages, you know, and uh, three uh, there's trimesters when you refer to ch- being pregnant. The first and second and the third. So I believe we're now in the third trimester. And what does a woman do in her trimester? She doesn't go and move usually. She's starting to settle down and nest and um, prepare. Mm -hmm. And um, there's lots of things that um, you could apply to that, you know. And so I think it's, you know, it's not like we just found out. It's just not like we're found out that we're pregnant. We've been waiting for six months. And on the seventh, eighth, and ninth is the third trimester, and so uh, this is what we do when we're pregnant. We we prepare and we're getting ready for the birth of the baby, and um, we get all everything ready. We're healthy. We've got all our supplies needed. Um, we've got uh, people around us to help us, the midwife, um, you know, et cetera.
2: Wow. That's wow, deep. there's such an anointing on what you're saying right now. That's amazing. Mm.
0: Yeah. yeah, when you were talking, it just came through about half an hour ago. So
2: the idea of settling, the idea of nesting uh, almost speaks to a people come out of her, my people, stop trying to do, you know, this moment is passing. Um, now is a time for wisdom. Enter into your chamber, shut the door until the indignation be overpassed. Is that what you're kind of saying? Is that what you're hearing, Brian?
1: Um, yeah, I'm sitting here in awe of my wife, right? Yeah, yeah it's me amazing. <laughs> Every Almost every week, either the day before or the morning of, she's just like, oh, God, I just feel like a spectator. I don't have anything to say. I'm like, what?
0: <laughs> okay, no, no, don't no, no, make it about me. <laughs> she just
1: knocked it out of the park. Are you
2: kidding me, right?
1: Yeah, wow. well, she does that all the time.
0: But, yeah. you know, there's this um, book that most women who are pregnant, I'm trying to remember the name of it, it's. What to Expect When You're Expecting. And most every single pregnant mother has that book, and it's had many editions. But anyway, so you have that book, and it looks as thick as a Bible, and you go through it, and you're preparing, you know, and that's our Bible. And here we are at the end of the book, (laughs) and you better be prepared. (laughs) So, uh, Kathy,
2: are you saying kind of by, you know, the the illustration that you're sharing that maybe this is a time where, Those who do understand what's going on, that maybe this is a time rather than going out and building a new church or building a new project or going out and, you know, maybe this is a time to begin to quietly settle, nest, come out of all the energy of labor and working and start settling down because you know something is ready to come to pass. Is that kind of, that's what I'm picking up and it resonates with my spirit deeply. Is that what you're kind of saying?
0: Um, yeah, and you know, there is some people that that might need to pick up and move, you know, and uh get settled. I think we're Getting where are you difficult. gonna next? Where are you having this baby? Where where is your final resting place, you know, for this baby to come through?
2: Wow. Wow. Man, I haven't been wowed in a long time, but boy, did that just hit like a that hit. Wow. Mm. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's not a good time to be arguing over doctrine. It's not a good time to be fighting with your spouse. It's not a good time to be struggling with your neighbor. Um, it's time to enter in, shut the door. That's yeah. huge.
1: Mm-hmm. Is that,
2: wow, that's just huge. The trimester. You know, I try to talk about that in some of my uh, preaching. I'm like, okay, I'm not a woman. I've never given birth to a baby, but isn't there something about transition <laughs> and, yes. the women are being, and they're being so patient with me and they're and it's like okay uh what is what is it about this transition and obviously it's in the birthing um where the the baby transitions or I forget what they said something transitions, and I am deeply believing that we're in a transition moment um in the history of the things of God it just in the dispensation of God and the economy of God that we are in some co- form of something transitioning, and maybe it's coming into this third trimester and entering into your rest and shutting that door and get and being prepared and being ready, not striving to be ready or get ready. You are, and I love that, uh, all these years that the Holy Spirit has been crying out to people, prepare, get ready, prepare, get your victuals, get ready, prepare. Uh, those who have obeyed and done what was necessary to do or attempt to do are going to be in much better shape uh i guess in that third trimester you don't want to be running around you could agitate things right
0: yeah i mean you know you you can still at the you know you have time but like that transition you're talking about that is that is at the end that is when you're number 10 dilated you're dilated you go from one to 10 centimeters and 10 the transition happens when the baby actually goes right down to the birth canal and the baby can come out at any minute. So as the end, the transition is like, it's just like the, the what do you call the apex of of the pain? Personal. And, um, yeah. And then it happens, as soon as that baby's born, every single bit of pain is completely gone. Wow. It's and that's just what amazing. Jesus said. You yeah. Say again? Mm-hmm. And then you have the joy of holding your baby. They hand you the baby, and, you know, there is absolutely no more pain. As soon as that baby comes out, it's just the pain is instantly over. I I guess if you're having the normal birth, but the pain at transition is the apex, the climax of the pain.
2: (laughs) Well, Mm -hmm. can we say... Could we say that in the days of Moses, well, they were trying to kill the babies two years younger, in the days of Jesus, to kill the babies two years younger, the male children, um, that in the end times, in the book of Revelation, there's a woman giving birth. She's crying in travail to be delivered, that the tribulation that we're about to enter into globally all over the world um, could be likened unto the birthing of the man-child ministry, the birthing of the sons of God, the birthing during the, is the tribulation, perhaps the transition period, the birthing into the millennium, birthing into uh, all the supernatural things of God that he's promised would take place immediately after that tribulation. Is that where we could be right now?
1: That's, that would be my, that's my take. That's my interpretation. In fact, you know, it, it, it occurs to me that, that, you know, imagine again, like, I don't speak too much about pregnancy because I don't have the experience to qualify, be qualified. Right. But, but I would imagine that if a woman was going through birth and she didn't know that she was pregnant, she would probably think she was dying. Mm -hmm. You know? And so it's like, if we don't have the right perspective and the right understanding of where we are and what's taking place, we're going to, do the wrong thing and respond wrongly and there could be some pretty bad consequences for that if we don't understand where we're at.
0: But wow. we are not
1: we're we not at a place to be freaking out over tribulation. It's just like we're trying to confirm and and look through the lens of scripture to identify where we're at and if we're in tri- in the tribulation, well, praise the Lord because we're going to be seeing him soon. Mm-hmm. And man, I would like to see it when it comes in the clouds. I would really, really like to see that happen. (laughs) Amen.
2: And, you know, we've actually believed that.
1: Uh, Patricia and I have believed it uh, for over
2: going on 50 years for Patricia. And uh, we've just always believed, you know, uh, I went to her one day and I remember saying, uh, Patricia, I I, want to share this with you. And uh, this was before we were married. I said, you know, I've never, Believed, and i don't know if other people do or not, but death has never really been a part of my psychology or my soul. you know I, it, it just doesn't make any sense to me, although there have been times in my life where I've had some pretty hardcore things going, Oh God, take me away, and I had to you know grow up from that, but i've never felt death and I, and the scriptures came up that there would be a people alive and remaining at the return mm-hmm. of the Lord, and we began to really press into that and say you know what, let's get the death conversation out of our mouths and stop talking about physical death and, you know, lean into, you know, being preserved, being protected, being in Goshen, being over here, uh, being the Church of Philadelphia. Uh, You know, I will keep you from the hour of temptation that's coming on the whole earth and and be alive and remaining. And we do absolutely qualify potentially in our generation of what we're saying is true of being in the right place at the right time, doing the right thing with the right people right now, to actually be alive and remaining at the coming of the Lord as we endure to the end of this great tribulation that God's been preparing us for for most of our lives in Christ.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Amen. You know, um, I bear witness to that. I believe that God has put it in both you when, when you recognize something so deep, and you can't really quite understand it, but it's there, and you've identified it. Because Brian and I have a similar thing. It's not with that, but it was with being, going through a tribulation where we're going to have times where we're just going to have to, like our loved one or someone next to us just dies or has an infection or, or is bleeding to death and we just have to lay hands on and, you know, and uh, they will be raised up or God will take them. And, you know, we're just going to have to act um, according to the times we live in with supernatural um, authority. So that's kind of what we've always talked about for our um, time together. Mm-hmm. So we recognized before we ever met that that would be better. So I bear witness to what you're saying there and with you guys. That's awesome.
1: Yeah.
2: You know, just a quick thought, Brian. I just want to interject because we're talking maybe 32, 33 years ago, sitting in a Bible study in San Diego, California in a beautiful home. And the presence of God is there. Pastor Paul, my pastor. Um, All of a sudden, out of nowhere, he shows up. We're having this Bible study, and 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 everything got so sober. I'll never forget this. And he said, I'm about to say something to some of you, and I don't know why it's going to matter. It may not matter now, but you need to remember this for the days ahead. He said, the days are going to come, and you're going to be marching on the battlefield, and there are going to be people falling down at your right and falling down at your left. He said, do not stop to pick them up. Mm-hmm. And I think it sent a gas, a shockwave, like how insensitive is that? But I think Pastor Paul, by the Spirit of God, was saying something that in this time, in order to endure, if people start giving up, if people start laying down, if people start going back, don't stop to minister to that. That's not mm-hmm. the time to do it. It should have already been dealt with way back here, and you mm-hmm. just have to keep going. And it's kind of like what I heard
1: you just say.
0: Kathy, kind
1: of similar. Mhm. Yeah, it's um, you know, it, it's going to be one of those times where Jesus told his disciples, "Let the dead bury the dead."
0: Mm-hmm. Oh,
1: yeah, there you go. There yeah, you go. and uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's um, I I definitely bear witness to that because you know, there are there are people that we've sown into people we love so very much, you know, that we've sown into, sown into, sown into, and, you know, some of them just mock us still, you know, and, and, um, and others just kind of dismiss us. They're nice, but they just dismiss what we're thinking. And others are like, well, I believe what you're saying is true, but, um, yeah, I don't know. I just can't, I just can't make the changes that I, that I would need to make. And, and it's, um, it's more of a, a peaceful resignation with me, where I just I know that I have to accept that, that there's that people are going to make their decisions, you know, and that that uh, you know there's still we were in church a couple of weeks ago, and and there was a pastor that was saying he was talking about you know there we're, we have a responsibility to lead people to Christ, you know, and and what I always tell people is you know I've never led a person to Christ that I know of. I have been present when people have accepted Christ when I was talking to them. But, you know, Paul was really clear in Corinthian, first Corinthians three, you know, one plants, one waters, and only God gives the increase. You know, it's God that draws people to himself and I didn't choose Jesus. Jesus chose me, you know? And it's like, again, I think it's, it's, we're really coming down to a point in time where people really have to, make a decision with themselves is 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 god lord is jesus lord of my life is he sovereign is he in control or is somehow all of this dependent upon me you know and and um you know it's back to proverbs 3 5 through 8 you know it's um you know it's we acknowledge him in all our ways he will direct our paths and proverbs 16 i think it's uh you know a man makes his plans but the lord directs his steps and it's just over and over and over again, it's about Jesus said, you know, apart from me, you can do nothing. You know, I am the vine, you are the branches, you know, apart from me, you can do nothing. And so I think that we're, we're, we're in a time when we really, really have to know what it means to abide in him, to really abide in him, and that we don't do anything that he doesn't lead us to do. He didn't do anything that the Father didn't tell him to do. And we need to learn to operate a, according to the same standards.
2: <clears throat> well. Absolutely, right on. And, you know, what I'm hearing as you're talking right now is that the subtlety of Satan comes to seduce believers ever so tactfully to begin to become a bit lukewarm or to begin to compromise or to take the things of God lightly. And he does that by this constant theme of, hey, everything's okay right now in the spirit of our conversation between ourselves and the people that are listening right now we're it's like being in a very real download being in a room with god and instructions are going forth and he's he's painting the picture and it's so real and it's so now and you walk out the door and all of a sudden the devil immediately comes to broaden the stroke broaden the horizons well it's not really that close it's really not that important you know the world is good everything is okay blah 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 and it's ever so seductive to keep people from preparing to keep people Mm -hmm. you know uh you know living a life one foot in the world one foot in the kingdom friends of the world enemies of god do not love the world they love the world so it's an ever ongoing battle go ahead kathy please
0: well you know as you're speaking you know it's like uh the things of the world and the things of god and that's where the paradigm shift must take place you have to, we have to um discern from one from the other and if we walk with that knowledge and and with you know that um awareness what is from the world what is not it's like um then that will not faze us. We will already have confronted that and dealt with that. And um, so that's where our boundaries are. That's where our heart lies is, you know, and um, it would be a lot easier if we uh, took care of things in our prayer closet, you know, and then we walk out the door. And um, the things of the world and how everything is so tempting and, to me, I was like, you walk out and you, oh, smell that, what is that um, odor that's like, oh, it's a hamburger cooking or it's banana bread baking. Oh, and then you just walk towards it because it smells so good, you know, because perhaps you're hungry. But if you already know that actually what lies in there is a trap, you know, then you're just immediately going to self-correct. And it's like, nope, that's not for me. I already know that one. Been there, done that. I'm following after my Lord, you know. Well.
2: Rigidly righteous, uncompromisingly righteous is the only answer. I got to tell you, I have been absolutely so blessed by our conversation today because I have heard things that are just downloading and confirming in me, deep, deep confirmations of questions I've had about what we need to be doing and um, where we need to be right now. And, you know, this conversation has – Really been an amazing blessing to me personally. Um, I believe we're still coming to the tail end of 5781. We've got about two months left. Pack your bags. Uh, anguish, tribulation, 5781. We're seeing that begin to come to pass. Uh, be in the right place at the right time. Maybe it's time to enter in trimester, third trimester. Settle down. Maybe shut down. Get away. Be with who God has you to be with. Um, ecclesia. Ecclesia. Uh, this is very meaningful to me, guys. I, I deeply appreciate this conversation. Uh, what else do we have?
1: Well, just kind of, kind of to add to what both you and Kathy just said. There's, you know, some of the ways I think that the devil tempts us are in, they're in such, such, such subtle ways. You know, it's like I always say, like if you're if you're on a sailboat, you know, which Kathy has a lot more experience with boats and water and things like that than I do, but but I was at the helm of a sailboat one time, and, and, you know, you have to pay attention, especially when you're on the ocean. There's wind, and there's waves, and everything else, and if you're going by the compass, you have to, you can't really take your eye off the compass for very long, and it's, um you're just constantly adjusting, readjusting, one degree off the air, one degree off there, and the thing is, is like, 1 degree off, you know, for like 100 meters is like no big deal, you can self correct. But 1 degree off for 100 miles, you know, and you might be 500 miles off course, you know. And and so there are these subtle things that are that get injected into the body of Christ. And I think there's one thing in terms of like God's love for us that I've noticed that's like a, it really the devil really uses it to to capitalize on our narcissism, right? And narcissism comes from the the Greek uh a Greek myth called about Narcissus who saw his reflection in um in a puddle of water and fell in love with it, right? And when we're born into this world as babies, we're born as 100% full-blown narcissists. And we're like, we know our needs and our wants and our feelings, and, and, and we tr- gradually learn how to get those needs met by, you know, first by crying and screaming. And as time goes on, as we mature, we, be, we begin to realize through childhood development, we begin to realize that there's other world out there and that I am not the center of the universe and my experiences are not the all in all. You know, and if we carry that further into what Jesus said, he said that we need to, we're to deny self, pick up our cross and follow him. And unless we do, then we can't be his disciples. And so the, this this pattern of being conformed to the image of Christ is a gradual pattern of increasingly denying self and increasingly choosing to pick up our cross and follow him. And one of the ways that I see that there's major deception within the body of Christ is this whole thing about your identity in Christ. We're always hearing about your identity in Christ, and especially with the youth. There's such a, a a desire to boost their self-esteem and make them feel worthy and not ashamed and, and valuable and we we um a lot of times we emphasize the, their identity in Christ and which is okay as long as we understand that but but i keep hearing pastors saying that that um that jesus died god gave his son because we are so inherently valuable. We are so awesome and so valuable that he, had, he came and he died for us. And we know that, that God so loved the world that he gave his own begotten Son, so, so that, you know, them, they believe can have eternal life. That's true. He loved us, but he didn't love us because we're awesome. You know, the book of Ephesians chapter two is really clear. You know, we were enemies of God. We were children of wrath, deserving of hell before, before you know, we surrendered to him. And, and so the subtle shift, the subtle difference is where I think a lot of people are getting deceived is that, yes, I am valuable now. Yes, you know, I, I have an identity in Christ, but it's not because I was inherently valuable from the start. It's because I surrendered to him and his love for me made me valuable. I'm valuable now. I'm worthy now only because of him, because I'm clothed in his righteousness. And and if we don't understand that from the get-go, then you you then we're in a lot of trouble. And I think that when I was talking about post millennialism and this this whole thing about us, about God's plan and and what takes place in the eschaton and even the even the preaching of the gospel is is dependent upon me, and that God can't do what He's going to do unless I do my part in the whole plan. Because I'm so awesome, I'm so wonderful, you know, and He He needs me to do His plan when it's actually the opposite. And so it's like it's it's such a fine line, it's such a subtle thing, but I think it's something that we all need to really kind of pay attention to and and and, and not get sucked into it, especially if you're a new believer. <laughs>
2: All right. Hopefully so two things. Yeah, that's awesome. I mean, that's just awesome. Uh, two things to what I just heard you say, the apostle Paul Romans chapter, uh, seven, he says literally in the Greek when he saw himself the way that God saw him, even though he was a big deal, religious man. And we saw all these, you know, attributes of being this religious Pharisee and all that. He said, I'm rotten to the core. He said, I finally saw that me in my human nature And rotten to the core is the Greek reality. And rather than, you know, getting people to identify or their identity in Christ uh, of being something of themselves, I think every one of us eventually realized that we have a sin nature that is diabolically opposed to the divine nature that we were originally intended to be. But the thing that really caught me in Hebrews chapter 2 about what you said Paul writes, or the writer of Hebrews says it this way in verse 1, therefore we ought to give the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard, lest at any time we should let them slip. And that word mm-hmm. slip there literally talks about, it's the para frueo, and it means to glide by, uh, to drift away, uh, to slip the mind, things escape me, you know. Um, if, if we're not careful, if we're not taking heed, as you said, a lot of this could go away, and then the final result of that is what? In verse 2, for if the words spoken by angels were steadfast, and every transgression and disobedience received a just recompense of reward, how shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation? which at first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed unto us by them that heard him. So we can neglect our salvation. We can let things drift by or slip by and not pay attention. And it goes back to what you were saying about drifting, you know, a hundred meters down the road. Uh, Pastor Ken Wagner, a dear friend of ours here at New Y ministry, being an ex-Vietnam veteran he always talked about the shooting range that they would, you know, if you're off just a little bit at such a uh, a length, not so bad, but you stretch that out and get off that far, you don't even come near the target, and yeah. that is something we need to be cautioned by. Very well said.
0: Hey, I have something to add with um with Brian's analogy of the uh, the sailboat thing. One thing he left out was like when you when you navigate and you dead reckon, you've got a, a place you want to hit in 20 days from you know and you're navigating you have to of course to have your compass you uh you have to take into account the current as well underneath your boat there's a current and so if you don't understand and know what the current is doing even if your compass is pointing to where you want to go you're going to not you're not going to hit it hmm. unless you compensate for that current it's simple you know, so that's something that people like when you're talking about neglecting such great salvation. Yeah, I'm saved. God loves me and I know my Lord is Jesus. And, you know, it's like, what about the current that's happening that's taking you? Mm-hmm. You know, and the other that's thing powerful. is, yeah, and um, let's see, the other thing was, uh, well,
2: you're remembering that, Kathy. Well, you're remembering that. Uh, what you're saying is the word sin in some cases actually means to miss the mark. And regardless of how well-intended one may be, if we neglect to take heed to the word of God and the instructions and obey them, uh, we are out on the sea of life. We can be driven far from the truth and then come up with a, whoa, Lord, Lord, you know, here I am I. And it's like, I don't know, because this is what sin is missing the mark. Go ahead. Did you find that other part?
0: Yeah, it's kind of a different thing, but like when Brian was talking about how the, um, People might just say, oh, I'm so loved. It's all about me. God loves me. He died for me. And, and what happens is that just, the enemy would use that to just demolish the fact that the first word is repent when for salvation, right? Repent. And um, so if you come into the kingdom, oh, it's all good because he loves you so much. And then you're good and you don't have a check of your heart or your sins, then you're just going to be skipping along, God loves me, and never address the sin. Yeah. So I could see how it's the enemy's plan to, to do that, you know?
2: Part of the false gospel. I think one of the greatest things that could happen to any of us human beings, because intrinsically we already know, I am convinced that deep down inside of us, the condemnation is upon the heart of every single human being on this planet, whether they want to admit it or not. The word of God says the condemnation passed to all men. So we all know intrinsically that we are rotten to the core. We just, we have to cover that up. But one of the greatest things about the gospel is that when we agree with God's perspective, that my human nature is an offense to God. It is a stench in the nostrils of God, that there is no good thing in me personally Um, When we come to that reality and then receive the grace of God and allow that divine seed, the nature of Christ, to be planted in the good soil of the heart, which just means sincere and honest, I get it. I'm rotten to the core. I'm a sinner. I deserve eternal damnation and death. I didn't know it, but I now get it. And then I receive the mercy of God, the grace of God, so that God can begin to rebuild and become a new creation, the one that he's really after. That could be the most joyful journey ever. But if it doesn't begin there, I think the individual is going to have problems forever thinking they're just a good person. No one's good. No, not one, according to the yeah. word of God.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, true. Very true.
1: And again, what we're dealing with today is the way that that going off course on that one point there, you know, that it's the goodness of God that draws men to repentance and it's the goodness of God that gives me any any value that I have in this life on this earth and, you know and if, if I think of it differently if, if I think of myself as like it's almost like thinking of myself as as God's equal or <laughs> because if God died for me because I'm so awesome well then gee I must be kind of like yeah. on the same you know and 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 then so when it comes to how will you respond to the end times? Well, I'm going to stand up and I'm going to fight because I'm God's man and he's behind me. I'm, I'm walking side by side with him rather than like being rescued and saved and delivered by him. So, so you're saying that the cross
2: needs to slay all of our ambition. uh, Every single thing about us, our entrepreneurial spirits, our uh, let's get up and go to recognize this moment the way that it has been presented today on this broadcast for anybody listening, I think the only right thing to do is to challenge this moment in prayer. Say, God, did I just hear properly? Did I just hear direction, instruction, wisdom about the way to conduct myself in my life at this time? Was this real? And because Brian and Kathy, to me, this has been a, a, A course correction, uh, an absolute transformative word that confirms the Spirit of the Lord is doing. Okay, we're down to four minutes, guys. Go ahead and wrap it up. Speak to the body of Christ. Say whatever's in your heart to say, please.
1: Yeah, just um, I I think that, that we have to be in a position where, on one hand, we have to be able to question Anything that we think, especially the assumptions that maybe some of us have carried for years, in light of God's word, and just check it and just make sure. And then the other thing is, you know, it's um, you know, being kind of an apologist by nature, I just love First Peter three fifteen, where he said, "Always be wet, ready to give a, a a reason for the hope that's in you," you know, with gentleness and respect. And we're we're at a period of time in history now where we have to check ourselves, you know. Through the light of God, through the light of truth, you know, which is God's word. But then we also have to really be ready to not just be, you know, Paul rebuked the, um, the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 3 for just like, for just needing milk and just needing, not being able to eat meat. We really need to be able to give a reason for the hope that's in us. We need to be able to cast down all the arguments that exalt themselves against the word of God and against the truth of God. We have to really know what the true gospel is, you know, so that when we're confronted with a a false gospel that Paul warned against, whether a man or an angel comes to you and gives you a gospel other than the one that you heard before, originally heard, let him be accursed, you know. And that's in verse 1, 8, and 9. And it says, you know, let them be an anathema, which means to be accursed, which means which means no hope of redemption, which means going to hell. You know, and it's so serious that we've really got to know exactly what the truth is. And we've got to be prepared, you know, to give a reason. That's an apologia in the Greek, right? And that is a, that's an argument, a logical, you know, scripturally-based argument for this is what the Word of God says, and this is why I believe it, you know? And if you can give me a, a better reason for it, then that's great. And, you know, we had a conversation, uh, this weekend at, at church with, with someone, uh, regarding the Trump prophets. And he was trying to give me all these reasons about, uh, you know, why Trump is coming back and America is going to be restored and whatnot. And, and, uh, you know, I just, I, I, I just, on one hand, I, I had the arguments, you know, I had the arguments and, sometimes I'm realizing that I'm like a bursting wineskin, you know? And so I kind of just machine gunned him with about a bunch of information, you know, and Kathy corrected me later on, like, you know, I got to slow down a little bit and calm down a little bit, you know? And so I had the, I had the, uh, the arguments, you know, I had the reasons, I had the scriptural basis to refute what he was trying to say, but then I missed the gentleness and respect part, you know? And that's mm-hmm. something that I, that I've really got to work on, you know? So we've got to have, some people, a lot of people have the gentleness and respect down really, really well. And they're the most, the kindest, most loving, compassionate people, but they don't have, they don't have the apologia. And then some of us have to work on the other side of it, you know, mm-hmm. and I just think it's a, I think that's a really important scripture and we really need to, wherever we're out of balance, you know, we need to ask God to just, you know, to, to show us where we're out of balance. And if we, if we're men and we have wives, we're, it's a little easier, I think, but, um. But, um, yeah, I mean, we just really need to just kind of get everything as much as we can and really be in balance and really make sure that, that our, as much as we possibly can, you know, ask God to correct the things that are wrong with us more than we need to ask him to correct, to confirm the things that are right with us. Because it's not the things that are right that we need to be worried about. it's It's where we're missing it. And we're all missing it in different ways. And so. Becoming conformed to the image of Christ can, and dying to self can be kind of a painful process sometimes, but it's something we've got to seek out and really look to become, you know, who, who he, who he, you know, wants us to become. <clears throat>
2: Amen. Amen. Kathy, a final word before we go. Uh,
0: I just want to. Uh, I think just talking about the birth pains and the birth and the trimester, the third trimester that we're in, is like just. You know, whether you're a woman or a a man and and the joy that uh, the birth of the baby, that baby brings to a parent or a grandparent or an auntie or an uncle or a friend, you know, it's just an amazing thing. And we will have to go through these sufferings and persecutions and these tribulations, but just know that um, it will be short. And uh, we're birthing uh, the, mo- the next um, season, eternity, and uh, it's, it's going to be a joy, you know, and uh, keep your eyes on the prize and, and um, keep our eyes on Jesus, and uh, he'll walk us through this.
2: Amen. And isn't there a scripture that says, uh, sorrow may last for the night, but joy mm-hmm. comes in the morning. And so yeah, we mean. have a, right, and so we have the joy In the morning of a new millennial day that is just ahead of us. Um, Somebody was asking a couple of questions on the chat room, and I know we're off of blog talk right now. So uh, let me just real quick look at this. Um, Somebody was talking about there's this new love and affection for dogs. That's another conversation. I think we love our dogs, but I told my dog, Max, who I love very much. If you ever get out of line, you're going to go on the barbecue. So you got to keep things in perspective. We don't do that. Um, I think that uh, they could become idols, no doubt about that. And why do we talk about these different times? uh, When it's the ninth inning of a baseball game, that's not the time to settle into your chair and think, okay, let's get the hot dogs and the the peanuts and let's watch the game. No, (laughs) you got to know when the game's almost over, folks. That's why we talk about end times. All right, guys, i got to run. God bless you both. We love you so very much.
1: We love we you God guys too. You real
2: soon. Enjoy. All right. Okay. God bless you, bless Brian you. and Kathy. All, all right. right, there you have it, folks. Brian and Kathy, all the way the Gray's from Hawaii, talking to us today. What a brilliant conversation! I trust that you learned something from it. Maybe you're taking some notes. You heard some keys, some pearls in the conversation. I hope you did. All right. This is Pastor Benjamin listening to the Watchmen right here on Omega Radio, NWMGlobal.org and Blog Talk Radio and Facebook. Until we meet again, I'll see you tomorrow. Shalom and God bless you.